Hi, I'm Angela Lucier, a professional public speaker, seven-time author, two-time TEDx speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a research psychologist, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and an ASECT certified sex educator. Together, we're the hosts of Playing the Stage, a podcast about speaking and sisterhood. If you've been a fan, you know I've been doing this show solo, and it's been all about public speaking for years. Well, that all changes now. Well, you're still talking about speaking on stage, but now we're also going to focus on the three things you need to make an impact, your voice, confidence, and sisterhood. This show is a training ground to go from dreaming to creating. Right. And we'll still be doing interviews with expert guests. Plus, you'll also get more personal stories and insights from us as well. I'm excited to see where this goes. Me too. And slightly freaked out. Me too. <laughs> Welcome to the next chapter of Plan the Stage. All right, today's topic all about what the heck is femininity. And I'm going to probably stumble over that word femininity throughout the whole <laughs> episode. It's just really, it gets stuck in my mouth every time. Um, Jolie and I are both still defining this word and trying to figure <laughs> out what it means to us. And before we jump into the interview, I thought we'd maybe talk a little bit about what it has meant to us over our lifetime. Um, because it's, confusing to say the least I think um what it's what it's supposed to I don't know what what is femininity supposed to do for us what is what does it mean how is it supposed to how is it associated with being a woman Jolie yeah. what is it meant to meant why do to we even you? have that word right what is, yeah <laughs> yeah and masculinity for that matter right well what it's meant to me is fairly straightforward it's just meant the like the opposite pole from masculine, right? So in that, in that, in a, any sort of spectrum, right? I see them at the ends of a spectrum, but that, but that doesn't describe how it feels to me. And, and I mean, like, that's the definition I feel like I was given, not that I accept, but like, there it is. But I was a little kid who had like, I was the picture of everything that could possibly be feminine. So long as I kept my mouth closed, <laughs> Yeah. I was I was the tiny 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 little girl. I was like thirteen pounds at a year old, and um, I was always at least like a whole head shorter than everybody else in my class until high school. And even still, still, I never really cracked five two. So, um, so I I had that that like that image of feminine that was like teeny teeny and small and demure and all of that, and I could I could use it. I could leverage it. It worked for me. However, if I opened my mouth, <laughs> I didn't fit into that anymore. So I felt, and it still comes up, I feel how feminine is not powerful if it's if it's used, you know, if the word is used in this sort of general sense, if it's used as a way to compart like to, to box me in or to to tell me how I should be. And that's exactly how it felt when I was a kid. Like, be a, be a nice young lady. Mm -hmm. It's so girl. interesting hearing to hearing your experiences with it because my experience is the exact opposite. Right. Because I've always been tall. 
Yeah. I've been tall since, as long as I can remember, I've been taller than my peers. And at 12 years old, I was six feet tall. And I was wearing my brother's jeans because they didn't make pants that were long enough for girls that were six feet tall. And so because I didn't fit into girls' clothes and had to dress like a boy, I felt like my femininity was not was not present. Like I just wasn't a girl because I didn't look like a girl. I was tall like the boys and I had to dress like a boy. And that was so monumental in my development of my psyche and my development of who I was. And and you said that when you were loud, it made you feel less feminine. <laughs> I was the quietest person around, but I felt like I couldn't hide from my yeah. my look of being masculine because of how big I was. Right. So we, <laughs> it, it is, and it comes up still like, so, so there you are six feet tall. Here I am five feet tall and it comes up like people still call attention to height and attach these qualities to it. Yeah. I mean, I get used as furniture, like, pe- like tall people will put their arms on me and treat me like a little kid. And like, like, it's weird. Like this is a thing grownups do really. Yeah. Well, I get treated like a ladder, so I guess I'm yeah. different. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, Oh, okay. So depending on which version of woman you are, you can be used as different furniture. I am not enjoying this conversation. Even the sadomasochist in me is still like a little, really? I did not consent to that. This is non-consensual, like plastering of some weird ideas all over us because we are presumed to have a certain set of genitals that are presumed to mean something about our gender. So if you like, we have to take all these layers off to even get down to the center. What the heck? How can we talk about femininity without talking about genders? Yeah. <sighs> I know. <laughs> yeah. And it all feels just so narrow. Like, the um, what you can be within whatever that definition of femininity is, is yeah. so narrow. And if you're not perfectly representative of the word, there's shame associated with it. Like, I've felt a lot of shame in my life. And... I even got to the point where I felt like maybe I'm not a real girl. I'm not a real woman. And even though biologically I am, and I've gotten my period since I was 12 and I have all the reproductive organs, I still felt like I wasn't a real woman. And even a couple of years ago, when I finally went off the pill and decided I was going to just like change my, um, my contraceptive, um, level or my, my type of contraception to the family planning method, uh, where you kind of just like test, you do your temperature and all that stuff. There was a part of me that thought I'm, there's no way I'm going to get pregnant, even if I'm having sex because I'm not a real woman. And then like 12 minutes later, I was (laughs) (laughs) the universe Um, has a message for you, Angela, coming in the form of this adorable child. (laughs) It's crazy to me to say that it just sounds crazy to say out loud, but there was a part of me that really believed like, there's no way I'm going to get pregnant. Like, I don't think I'm even. (laughs) So, and we're not even touching on the fact that it doesn't like biology. It like biology isn't gender. It's just, it's not like, it's just not. So on top of all of that, you have, um, yeah, but your gender's up here. (laughs) Like, even if you hadn't been fertile, even if you like none of that, all of that is added. It's like added to a great big pot of uh, trouble, like like a really murky, bubbly stew that is society's expectations along with the biology, which is far more complicated than just 
a binary system of two sets of genitals. That's just not how it works. Um, and so, and when I teach that, like in a in a freshman level human sexuality class, when we talk about the wide variety of of genders, of identities, of of orientations, of of um, of genitals, of like all these ways that a person can be different, and that you would have to know all of these different ways to start to even begin to understand them. You'd need to be invited into understanding all of those parts of them. And meanwhile, we we simplify in our own heads. Like I have to wear boys' jeans, so I guess I'm not really a girl. Like right. <laughs> like we like, and that's for us. Like, and we a little, and then we do to others. We pin them down with our ideas of what. Yeah. Oh. Okay, it's, this is, it's so heavy. <laughs> it is heavy. It's huge. And it's funny because I don't feel like I judge other people um, based on the way they present themselves. It's more like my own self-judgment. But you're internalized. Yeah. yeah. And it's so deeply, um, it's a deeply held belief that I have that I have to work on all the time. And what, and what kind of reinforcement did it get? Like when you were a kid, like was that was that image of yourself reinforced that you weren't girlish enough you weren't feminine enough um I think it's that I wasn't treated like a girl at home I wasn't like allowed to um I didn't do dishes and laundry with my mom I was like out with my dad in the backyard raking leaves and mowing the lawn and doing chores that were more suited for a boy like that I don't know that's so, what so you had divided you had you grew up in a house that had gender divided roles but then they put you into the category of a gender that you didn't identify with. Yeah. Yeah. That does sound confusing, especially because we're talking about somebody who's like eight, yeah, nine, or like we're not talking about somebody who's 40 and can make those kinds of decisions for themselves. Yeah. And I also had no interest in dolls and I didn't like wearing dresses. And so I felt like, well, if I'm not identifying with the things that my friends who are girls like, then I must be more like a boy. And mm-hmm. I, the word transgender never, I had never heard it until, I don't know, years and years later. So it, as a kid, I thought, well, I'm not really a girl, but I'm also not a boy. So I guess I'm just an alien. And that was my decision for like a long time that I just wasn't a real person. I was just someone from another planet. I've never heard you say that before, but so that's exactly what Ken thought, too. That's how he categorized himself. Really? I'm an alien. Yep. So then he tried to model himself after Spock. <laughs> and I'm like, you just do not have the logical chops for that. But I burst his bubble in his 40s. Poor guy. Like, yeah, he, he did, too. He For him, um, and he I share his stories all the time. I have, I have consent to share some of his stories. He did it because he didn't understand how... Like people worked. He like he found people mysterious. He and so because of that, like social stuff just freaked him out. So he decided that he must not be a human since he didn't like get the human thing. Mm-hmm. And but the word alien specifically, like, oh, it never occurred to me. I always thought that I I always felt ostracized from humanity, but I never thought I wasn't human. That sounds really challenging, like to then find integration after after feeling that. Yeah, it was very confusing. And I, I know I've told you before, um, thinking back to when I started dating, I don't remember making a conscious decision to be heterosexual and to be attracted to guys. It was more like, well, I guess now I'm going to start having a boyfriend yeah. <laughs> because that's what girls do at my age. 
Yeah, the script. So that was like your stab at being a girl? I'll date yeah, boys. Exactly. I was like, I guess I'll try this out. Um, and I still felt like walking down the street with my boyfriend, like, does my boyfriend know I'm an alien? I feel like he doesn't really know, but I'm not going to tell him. <laughs> Maybe if I don't tell, he won't notice. Yeah. It's wild. It might be that you're just a human, but, you know. Did you find any, did you, did you enjoy any part of that? Like, was there any part of not being a, like, not feeling like a girl that you enjoyed? No, I hated it. I felt like disgusting and Mm. weird and alone. And I felt like I was living a lie. And I felt like if I tell anybody that I think I'm an alien, they probably won't want to be my friend anymore. So I'll just keep pretending to be a human and Mm. maybe no one will notice. (laughs) You're, you're pretty good at being a human. <laughs> I've worked at it for a long yeah. time. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing because it's not funny, but it, I mean, it is uh, funny, but it's all, it's just crazy. Like, it just sounds crazy to talk right, about now. <laughs> right. I mean, your coping strategies got you to where you are. Yeah. And it's, it's both funny and not funny at the same time. I mean, it's not funny if we think about who you were at 13, actually thinking these thoughts and thinking that that was the fullness of reality. But at 39, you're not there. <laughs> like, you can see it with perspective and go, oh, wow. I mean, in many ways, we are what we think we are. <laughs> we, you know, we, we are defining our reality. And I didn't, it never occurred to me. I, I always felt my cisgender body always felt correct to me. Well, I have body dysmorphia and that's a whole other, that's a whole other episode. We can talk about body. We're going to get into but, that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's different. But, um. But my, but I felt at home as labeled as a girl or a woman or feminine or any of that. But that doesn't like. But I knew I wasn't straight. Like I, I never, I, I never even understood that concept. I never understood how I would know who I was attracted to before I met them. Like I, I just don't get, and I still don't. So now I'm in my mid forties, and I'm like, I won't know whether I love you until. I know you <laughs> like I, I have to and, and attraction feels completely random to me like that that chemical kind of attraction the lustful attraction so but I also followed the script like I turned a certain age and even though I had only been really attracted to girls up until then I turned like mm, 14 and a half 15 somewhere around there I was like yep time to get a boyfriend if I don't get a boyfriend I'm a loser and broken and wrong and I actually found a letter about it in my parents' attic while I was cleaning out the house. I found, a, like, a letter I wrote to myself about how I could have a perfect life, but it included having to have a boyfriend. Did so I break sad. your heart? Oh, well, it was a long list. There was plenty of other stuff to break my heart on it. It's uh, honestly, like, a lot. Um, but it made me sad in so many ways, and one of them was, like, oh. So I could only define myself in relationship to this person who was other and different from me. And, like, that's how I would be a correct girl. A correct... Why do we do that? I don't know. <sighs> I don't know, but I'm really glad we're talking about this. And I think beyond it having to do with gender and um, sexual orientation, I think it has so much... It's so tied into our willingness to speak up, like you said earlier. Yeah. Like, when you felt like being loud was not in alignment with femininity I think that we take that even unconsciously into adulthood and when we want to speak up 
in disagreement or even in agreement with someone else that could be looked at as not feminine. We could be looked at as being too loud and now you're being masculine and what are you doing? And it can really impede our ability to say what we want to say. And that, that, is uh, one of the reasons that I'm so interested in this topic at this time in my life is I want to be more conscious of when I speak up and when I don't. And when I don't, is it because of that piece? Is it because I'm afraid of being seen as bitchy and loud and aggressive and angry and um, not feminine? (laughs) Yeah. Which is upsetting to think about. I, I mean, I made a lot of choices to, and I leaned into it and tended to talk up anyways, But the number of times that someone had spoken to me or had been in relationship to me through, like, an internet connection or whatever, and then they'd meet me, and multiple times in my life, somebody has said, why are you so short? What a bizarre question. I'm not actually that short. Like, and first off, weird to comment on a person. But what they meant is they presumed a certain masculine and like because I I'm decisive, I'm judgmental, I'm I'm clear, I'm aggressive when I believe in something, and so they put all of that over into this masculine basket and decided I must be a great big person. Like many times, it and every single time my jaw just drops. I'm like, what? Okay, yeah. so there really is just one script we're supposed to follow. Yeah. I, that, that reminds me, I used to belong to an online community for people who really loved Seth Godin. And I was part of that group for years and we finally got together and we had a conference in New York and people came from all over the world and we had been talking online for such a long time. So when we met each other, it was like we were meeting old friends, but we had never seen each other in real life. And the most common comment I got was you look smaller online. And I was like, well, we all look small. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, why would you expect me to be small? And there's like something about your um, presence. Like you just looked like you'd be smaller than you are. And I thought that was a really interesting comment because it's uh, there's something about the way I was projecting my voice that made me think I was, made them think I was small. Yeah. Yep. And I have exactly the opposite. Even in my typing, people are like, <clears throat> which I mean. I guess that's just what we do. We create images in our head. But those the, those images fall into baskets, categories, depending on stuff that was handed to us by a culture. Like yeah. we didn't we didn't pick all of that stuff intentionally. Yeah. So, which means we actually have the opportunity to undo these really harmful narratives. Mm-hmm. And and it is hard. Like I and I notice I notice myself accidentally reinforcing binaries all the time, accidentally reinforcing polarities all the time. It's it takes so much mindfulness to get out of it. Yeah, it's so baked in. I mean, yeah. it's like you have to be so conscious all the time. So today's interview, we get into all of this with someone who has a background in I mean, just seems she seems to have a background <laughs> in everything. <laughs> Serena's been around. She has done some stuff. But her community building is so strong. Coming into, she comes into communities or creates communities around her. And, and she then, no matter what she's teaching or leading or whatever, she's, she's always asking us to question what, what it is that we we're doing. And so yeah, so I love Serena. And she brought a lot to the interview. Like so much. Did you have a favorite part? I loved the story she told about her ritual. 
her ritual. I just thought there was there's not just so much power in the individuality, like the actual story she told, but also in setting an example for how we can all like do something. I rather because we could talk all day long, but it's what we do when we get up and leave our little our little booths here. Yeah. That's what's gonna matter. Yeah. I my favorite part came in the first couple minutes of the interview when I asked her her definition of femininity. Yeah. I want to write that down and I want to use it as a guiding light for the rest yes. of my life. <laughs> and I mean, she gave so many helpful um, tips on just how to get started and even thinking about this and little shifts you can make and uh, becoming more aware of past decisions and why you made them. And there's just so much, I think I could listen to this interview 20 more times and get something different from it every time. Yeah. So before we share that, I want to just give her background. Um, let me just write, uh, uh, her full name is Serena Payan Hazelwood. And she's a certified holistic sex educator, experienced registered yoga teacher, and somatic drum circle facilitator. She brings body-centered holistic approaches to her work, drawing on her study of religion and spirituality, ancestral trauma and healing, social justice, eco-psychology, and colonization. That is an amazing body of experience yes. and work. And it's like, yeah. you could have her on every episode. Yeah. And the work she's doing right now is flipping amazing it's just it's just so it's so good it's so powerful so there's a lot more to talk to her about for sure yeah and and one of the things she says in her bio that I that just makes you want to learn more about her she says Serena's liminal identities as a queer indigenous latinx european descendant make her a natural connector messenger and community healer yes yes Yes. And she owns her identities and, and helps us understand her perspective so well. That's, I love that about talking with her. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's it. And there are some swear words in this episode. There are. So be there prepared. Are. Cause um, we're talking about something that like, it brings stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely got fired up in this one. <laughs> You have some feelings about it. A couple. I don't think this is the last time we're going to talk about femininity. I don't either. Shockingly. I think, I think it's going to be a huge theme here. And um, I'm excited to learn more and share more and just bring this conversation back around because I know we're not the only ones thinking about it. Yeah. So without further ado, here's our interview with Serena. Serena, welcome to our show. This is our first episode actually together, Jolie and I. I've been doing the show solo for years and now this is our your first interview as a triad, the three of us here. So thank you. I love it. I feel like this Yay. is a sandwich. Oh, it is it's a sandwich, perfect. a Serena sandwich. <laughs> I love this. Like heavy goosies. Like the dream. That's the dream. I'm here for that. <laughs> I want, I want to give an introduction to this episode and why we're talking about it, because the topic of femininity makes my skin crawl, also makes my stomach do flip-flops, also makes my mind go in 20 different directions, because I still feel so puzzled by what it is, even after 39 years of being a woman. <laughs> I feel like it gets more and more confusing every year, actually. And um, 
Jolie and I were talking about it and the, the possibility of having it as a topic on our show. And we both were like, you know what, we, we really need to bring this up because we're probably not the only ones who feel this way. And we would love to talk to someone who has something to say about it and can maybe add something to the conversation that will give us something new to chew on and think about, and also maybe make us feel less shame and less questions around what it all means. So before we go too far into it, Serena, do you want to give us a little background on who you are and why you're here talking about this subject today? Oh, yeah. Um, So my name is Serena Bayan Hazelwood. My pronouns are she and her. And I am currently living in Southern Illinois, which is the land of the Kickapoo, the Miami and the Sioux. Um, so I am right now we're, we're in COVID right now. So some of the things that I guess the way in which I identified myself, um, are paused right now, but how I would, I identify myself is, um, I am a a community leader. Um, I bring people together and right now we're not able to do that in the same ways. Um, So I guess that's how I would define myself as far as maybe why I might be here is, is with, with community. I'm also a holistic sex educator. Um, I'm a queer woman of color. I'm indigenous Latinx and also a descendant, a European descendant uh, here, uh, German and English. Let's see. I'm a yoga teacher, although that's also on pause right now, Um, not just because of COVID, but uh, some other reasons that maybe we will get into and maybe we will not get into today. Um, Drum circle facilitator. But but really, um, if we were to to kind of dig a little bit deeper, um, community gatherer leader, but for the purpose of liberation, reclamation, ritual, and renewal. Um, and so, yeah. All right. Well, is that what you were kind of Yeah. For? Yeah. I just wanted to get a little yeah. of your background. That's great. <laughs> so starting from such a wide background with so many different interests and just experiences, how do you define femininity? See, I knew this topic was going to come up. <laughs> um, so, it is a spectrum for me, right? And it's constantly changing. So I, I don't think that I can give you an answer that we can pin down because it's constantly moving. And um, I will say that how I was raised of what femininity was, um, my experience within the queer community, what that meant and how that's changed. And then now being 46 years old and having gone through so many changes, I can't really um, pinpoint it. But here's here's how I'll say how it is right now. Femininity <laughs> is ever, anything I want it to be. It's me, right? Um, I used to think linear, right? Like feminine and masculine energies. And as I've come to understand energy, maybe that's not so much the case that maybe I have this, um, maybe I get to define what femininity means, um, who Serena is and it's, and it can be anything. 
How did you arrive at that? Because that sounds really comfy and warm and nice. And it's so different from what I expected you to say. (laughs) I think that being queer and being in a relationship with a, a woman has actually helped me expand what feminine means. Um, especially in the relationship that I'm in right now, I have been in, um, other relationships where I've been in relation. I was married to a man for nine years. Um, I had, I was with other women who identified as, as uh, cisgender lesbian women. And there were like gender roles. Like I was the feminine one. They were the masculine one. Like, so ridiculous. And um, as I've gotten older and explored my sexuality, I have a partner that also doesn't define me in what feminine or masculine is. And so I've been able to really expand that and really dismantle those gender roles within relationship and within myself. And so I think a lot of it has to do with the, the uh, acceptance and the space within, within relationships. So that's, that's why I'm able to say it can be whatever I want it to be, but it wasn't always so. That's interesting that by getting clearer on your, your role in your uh, or just how you feel about your sexuality made femininity clearer for you is that what you're saying yes absolutely Jolie did you have that and there's (laughs) yeah I'm gonna jump in because I I think I do so but I'm married to a cisgender man who looks to everyone like he's not queer though he is bi and out and I was married to a man, a cisgender man before that. And so staying inside the box of like what it is to stand next to that person meant that often my femininity was defined as just whatever they weren't. Like whatever they aren't fits into this box. Like as if, first off, there's only two options. So first off, that doesn't even make any sense because once you start studying gender, the the wheels come off of that really quick. The, the idea that there's just two options. But... Even if we were to look past that, standing next to somebody who fits the mold really well, and then being, I happen to be in a fairly small body and have a fairly high voice and fit into a bunch of those like classic roles. So I had, I have had a hard time not just falling into the trope. Like, well, here, it's easy for me to just define femininity as whatever is not this guy, this dude that I'm standing next to. And when I'm in a relationship with a woman, it does change. But that's not, gen- like, most of my life has not been spent in close romantic relationship with women. Or even close queer platonic relationship with women. Which is it's another, that's another question, another issue. But, yeah, just being the other. That's different from being, like, defined what you're saying, Serena, like just being expansively defined as yourself and allowing femininity to come through you. Yeah. Well, it's I was thinking about this this morning as, as I was kind of preparing for our conversation and I started thinking about the word femininity and what it brings up for me. It brings up thoughts of like being cute and quiet and nice and complying and being helpful and caring for others and pink and lace and like all these, you know, very like feminine words, I guess. And then I thought about another word that sounds a lot like femininity, 
feminism, mm-hmm. but it doesn't come up. I don't have those images at all. When I think about feminism, I think about being strong and bold and brave and equal and fighting for rights and being uh, vocal and proud and confident. And I thought those two categories could not be any more different, yet the words sound so similar. What the fuck? I got so angry as I was eating breakfast. I almost like threw my egg. Okay, so Serena, do you have any thoughts on this? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I do. Absolutely. Because I guess I would have thought of it maybe the same way as a younger woman, a young girl, like delicate, you know, being the soft. And now... I think about femininity, I think about my own power. I think about my power to create, whether that's to create ideas, life, whatever. Like I'm a fucking powerful being. And and that comes out in in various ways of my life. And particular when I'm in drum circle or music circle with community, I'm in the center and I'll I just I feel divine and folks are making this beautiful music together that might not have ever played an instrument (laughs) before and they're coming in and they're sounding amazing and we're creating this energy. And in that space, as I'm commanding with my hands and my, my voice and my being, I am the divine feminine in that space. So to me, it's very powerful. Um, Yeah. But did you feel like you had to get permission for that? Like, like inside, I don't mean outward, but did you have to like turn inside and like, I don't know. Cause it feels like you, you talked earlier about liberation. It feels like in order to fully feel ourselves as divine feminine, like some layers have to get pulled off. Something has to change to go from that pink lace, soft, mm-hmm. demure, like all of those images into this power how do we get to the power what did you do yeah um actually a lot of it had to do with so stepping into that power and also it's not always that way right sometimes I have to well often I have to step back in (laughs) I step back in or in and I'm not sure if it's in a circular way that I'm stepping or if it's linear but um I would say that that ritual for me was a big part of um, impo- being empowered, stepping into that, that feminine divine is, is through ritual. So whether that be through my yoga practice at the time of, uh, you know, breath work and moving my body and feeling my body and, you know, the somatic of like trying to identify what I'm feeling. And I think that I know that that was a big part of me being able to step into that. I'm trying to imagine myself doing yoga or breathing exercises in an effort to try and step into my feminine femininity. And I feel like I'm, I'm stuck about how that would work. I I don't know that that would make a difference for me. Is there something you tell yourself or an intention you set to try and help you with that? I feel like it's going to be different for everybody. So yoga might've been my path, right. To, get into my body, but that might not be everybody's path. So I think what I would say is in that case is that we have to find ritual that works for us. Right. So it's going to be kind of seeking. Um, so when it happened, I had, a, I, in 2013, 
I went to Costa Rica and to get uh, yoga certified, right? I was like, I'm going to be a yoga teacher. And I went there thinking I was going to like learn yoga poses so I could make money, right? I could commodify <laughs> yoga. And in that experience, I had so much letting go in that process. It was a month-long immersion program. And I learned that yoga wasn't actually about what I thought it was. It wasn't about the poses. And there was like this, all these like traumas and this, everything that I'd been holding in, right? Um, Just was unearthing and crying and it was ugly. (laughs) But that was my process. And so um, that's, that's how I came to where I was at. But again, it might not be like that for somebody else. It might be as simple as walking or uh, an altar or I don't so many things that we can do, but I, I I wasn't setting an intention to be like, I want to step into my femininity. It, It didn't happen that way. It was more of like, as I let go of shit, this, I felt my power emerging from within me. Right. Like, and then, then it starts to radiate out and then others are drawn to that. So, so that wasn't really an answer to your question. No, I think it is. It, it seems like you've you've been in this process for a long time and you've been taking a lot of steps. So to say it's one thing doesn't really work because it's a lot of different things. And it's also unique to each person. What about someone who's just starting to explore this topic and is feeling like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be whatever societal expectation there is around femininity. I want to be me. I want to redefine the word. Do you have any advice for someone who's sort of like on step one? I would say for me, step one would be finding other beings, finding community, um, because there's going to be so many stories in, within community that, again, we're going to find that what I define as feminine, this person, that person, you know, we're all going to define it and we all have different stories. And I think within community, we can help each other. We can inspire each other. Um, this, this, that's where some of the seeking <laughs> and the exploration can happen is with community. That's a great point. I've, I've given a speech about yeah. femininity at Speaker Sisterhood, and it was really interesting because it opened up a whole like space for other women to come up and say, yeah, I struggle with this too. And I've never been able to tell anyone about it because I felt ashamed and embarrassed that I didn't fit the mold. And I don't think I'm a guy, but I also don't really feel like a woman. So who am I? And I I love that idea of finding others who are on that journey too, to try and connect with them. What about you, Julie? Well, if if we're going to redefine for ourselves, what genders are like what what just even the concept is I love the idea of starting with community and I think I have been afraid to I've been afraid to because I I still feel that binary that false dichotomy of masculine feminine and here I am trained in archetypal psychology where we're always talking about polarities always um but but when I think about coming into community community and talking about femininity For me, as soon as I open my mouth, I feel like my femininity flies out the window. People 
forget, like, because I can pass. I have a lot of passing privilege for being, like, a cute little sweet girl. But as soon as I open my mouth, people are like, fuck, she'll say anything. And so that, and that gets pegged as a masculine trait. So for me to come into community with the intent to view each individual woman um, as as herself, like creating femininity, like live in front of me would be a great way to like intentionally meet that that fear. Because why am I so afraid of circles of women? I mean, what it it seems too coincidental that we're talking about the power of the divine feminine and like embodying that. And then my fear comes up like, Ooh, I bet I know what I'm afraid of. <laughs> um, so Serena, when it comes to um, today, like trying to define for ourselves, what femininity means, is there, is there something that we can be doing to, I don't know, let ourselves off the hook or try and create a ceremony or ritual around letting go of old expectations or old beliefs around it? Yeah. I would like to give an example of how I did that. Would that work? Yes. Okay. So um, two years ago, exactly. Well, okay, not exactly, but very close. Um, I was going through a lot of transformation, a lot of grief, a lot of letting go, loss. Um, And I decided to, I have long, mane, beautiful hair, right? Which has defined me all of my life. Um, Wow, Serena, you've got beautiful hair. You've got the good hair that, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was taking a class on uh, sexuality and uh, religion and, you know, had learned about the Buddhist monks that shave their head in an act of, you know, detachment. And so I thought, I'm going to shave my head. I'm going to shave it off. Can I still be this divine, powerful being without my hair? Like kind of like Samson, right? Is Samson going to lose her power? (laughs) Yes, I love that so much. (laughs) So, um, you know, and my hair is like my thing. So I decided uh, on the full moon, that uh, in October that I would shave my head and by myself. And I did, I shaved it and I, it was, oh my gosh. So liberating and scary and all the things, right? And I shaved my head and intentionally, I knew I was gonna have a drum circle right after we, we drummed with the full moon. So I shaved it, didn't give myself time to really, take it in. And I went to the drum circle to facilitate. And I asked folks to not mention it, like, I don't want to talk about it. And did it. And it was just, for me, powerful. I also saved my hair. That was the other thing I saved my hair, saved all of it. And, um, you know, didn't want people to bring it up. (laughs) What I found is, um, that drum circle was amazing. I didn't lose any of my power. Samson was, could knock those pillars over no matter what. Um, and that it was my hair that defined me or 
was made me feminine or not feminine. You know, it was, it's me, right. It's my being. And so it took me um, a few months. I kind of kept the, the bald head as a way of just really kind of like wearing it and just feeling it and being in community. Right. So going to school and being around people, coworkers, and just, you know, feeling that, how do people treat me? How do I feel about myself? And it was funny because I actually felt even more powerful <laughs> without my hair. Um, and so um, during solstice, which is about, about coming up, I took my hair and I was here on the farm and I dug a hole and I buried that hair under the moon. And it was funny because there was clouds, right? It was cloudy that night and it was cold and wet. And I just, I dug, dug the hole. And I look up and the, the clouds were like perfectly passing in a way that the moon was showing um, and shining down on me. And which made it even like just so powerful. I felt my ancestors with me. I just felt, I mean, that ritual just was it. So I buried it and that was it. And I started growing my hair back. <laughs> So that was something that just kind of came to, it was a little bit on the, you know, not everyone's going to be like, I'm going to shave my head. <laughs> like that's not, might not work for people. <laughs> Although but I've that, met a lot of people who do want to shave their head, but feel afraid because of, you know, expectations around what women's hair looks like. Yes. Yes. It's very empowering, not the path for everybody, but, but there are, there are many paths to it. And so, yeah, we can, make shit up right and maybe the intention behind it um you know fire ceremony is another wonderful way you know incorporating the elements into our rituals is very very powerful yeah i love that you're speaking to the individuality of it because it's when you create it for yourself and then then the the ritual has this life this life force in it that's awesome it's yours yeah. Did you intentionally pick your hair because it was the scariest thing or was it because, yeah. So mm-hmm. it, I, I kind of feel like that's probably a good place to start is like, what scares you the most? I remember wanting to get a tattoo in my early twenties and I was at a tattoo parlor and I said, I want to get a, a tattoo right on my like right bicep. And the tattoo artist looked at me, it was a, she was a woman and she said, only guys get tattoos on their right bicep. I was like, Oh, <laughs> And I felt like, oh, I guess I can't do that then. And it was so, it was such a weird moment. So I finally now, almost 20 years later, have picked the tattoo that I want and I will be putting it on my right bicep. Yes, I love that. I love that. I was told the same thing, by the way. (laughs) I mean, no, never mind then. All right. Well, then. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you said this pick the scariest thing. Yeah, that that's yeah, that feels good. Mm-hmm. Well, something's gonna happen, right? If we pick something scary, we know action's gonna happen. It's not gonna be like, oh, I did a thing. Like yeah. right. you're scared to do it. Right. So we have lots of ideas. There's finding community, being around other um, people who are exploring femininity. There's doing the first scary thing. There's creating your own rituals and ceremonies and also like exploring what it means for you and your body. Um, 
What about when you come up against too much fear just to challenge what femininity is? You know, I feel like that's that's going to come up a lot if you're trying to redefine it. Maybe your family's going to push back or your spouse or your coworkers. Like, why are you wearing that? What did you do to your hair? Why aren't you wearing makeup? Uh, why are you so loud? What would you say would be a good response? Like besides fuck off, like, is there anything oh. else? <laughs> Maybe, I mean, that could just be it, but. It's a good also one. not saying anything. Yeah. Like, what would happen if you practice as a practice, right? What would happen if we practiced not saying anything or and just kind of standing in that like awkward silence, right? What would that feel like for you and for maybe the where you're where that pushback is trying to like challenge you? Um, right? It's almost like setting a boundary for yourself in silence. Also, there's fuck off. <laughs> yeah. But I kind yeah, of like not saying anything, right? Like I think that's super powerful. Yeah. Because that's that's Ken's move. That's my husband's move. He like when met with like a gender non-conforming issue, because he he does not actually conform very well. Um and when he's met with that, he just blinks and stands and stares. He's implacable. I have a hard time. I'm like, oh, let's fight. Let's go for it. But he's implacable and it it invites, there's like a space opens up and I can see that the other person who made the comment wants to fall into that space and just keep falling forever because all of a sudden, like everything's burst open and maybe it only lasts a little teeny bit of time, but that space sounds like the space of liberation to me. So it is a boundary, but it's also like, what's in there? I don't know. What's in that space? I love that that is so powerful and it, it really I think turns the person's projection back at them to have to yeah. wonder like oh, why is why is why am I not getting a response I, I think that's I want to I want to do that <laughs> practice I think asking like, the question too yeah, yeah asking the question and inviting yeah I don't I don't so, see like what do you mean what do you mean by that right I mean, yeah, I, hear I actually I hear my daughters do that. Yeah, I hear my daughters do that when they're questioned about around. So I have three daughters and, and they all identify with she, her pronouns um, of, of various orientations and all. But they when they are confronted with somebody bothering them about their about their femininity, they do have. I mean, they have brilliant questions to ask, like like with like, oh, huh. Wow. And essentially, I think their questions boil down to, I'm not going to speak for them, but when I have been present for them, the questions seem to boil down to, wow, what happened to you to make you think that? That's so sad. Like They, they have space for gender to be more complicated than that. And so they can invite a question. And the question, well, <laughs> if we could get people to self-reflect a tiny bit, that would be huge. Yeah. Well, getting back to the relationship piece of this, uh, defining for yourself, how you want to show up in a relationship. Let's say you do want to redefine femininity for yourself. And you've been in a long-term relationship where there's an expectation of you looking, acting, sounding a certain way. How do you approach that with a partner? So they're not totally caught off guard or, you know, they're brought into the process of you deciding for yourself how you want that to play out. 
I can say that I've not been successful in that. <laughs> um, so it would be just me just, just talking out of my ass because um, when it's come down to it, um, when I've had shift, major shifts, your partner's either going to shift with you in a way that's complimentary or they're not. And that's for me, the light, the path that I've taken is I've, I've had, you know, life partners or um, long-term partners, right. Where it's been, I can look back and see how differently I am as I move through each one and how my femininity, right. <laughs> how I, my gender roles and, and have, um, have shifted each time, like a gear, you know, like, and unfortunately, or fortunately, those partners didn't, didn't come with me on that journey. So that might be more of a question for Dr. Hamilton. <laughs> doctor? Isn't, yeah. So, okay. Now I have to put my doctor hat on. I'm going to, I'm going to own my doctor though, in, in honor of Dr. Biden, I'm going to, I'll own it. Um, so I think that when you're experiencing major internal shift, it is, you're right, Serena, it is, it's an opportunity for your partner to either shift with you, and complimentary is a great word, they don't have to shift with you in the same way, they don't have to necessarily like everything you're doing, but there does need to be a shift, they need to create a, a, a space for there to be a new you in their, in their, like their internal frame of who you are has to be able to be flexible and and changeable otherwise you'd be glued in and you know i mean i'm all for just redefining what the success of a relationship is mm. i think that successful relationship is about being able to transition gracefully between phases and stages rather than just being able to gut it out through anything so when because i also don't think that somebody should have to stay with me I change in a way that truly does not suit their being, like their essential being. I would, for me, I could never be happy in a relationship where someone was staying in opposition to that feeling. I, and I, you know, I mean, I tend to be pretty open about the idea that a forever in relationship, it feels, it feels, um, overly constrained uh in a way like i don't want to have to define who my partner will become in order for us to stay together even though i'm all googie for my person and like like we're disgustingly in love and and like it's ridiculous and i do say forever words and i do talk about wanting him forever and staying in forever and ever and lifetimes of all the things but we made a commitment to embracing change that was actually our vow to each other was to embrace the ways that we were going to change and allow each other to change and be different and to tell to be able to tell like i'm changing this is transition i know you're expecting something else that something else isn't here anymore so let's have a conversation about that because you need to get to know me let's get to know each other again it's a good opportunity to go on first dates again who says you can't go on a first date again? If you transition, it is all new. But then you got to also return the favor because we got to let our people transition too. Right. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. So this conversation can really be opening the door to a whole new relationship 
whether it's yeah. with your partner or with someone new. So um, I guess it's about having the courage to allow yourself to, to decide if this is something that's been bothering you. Is it big enough of, is it a big enough problem or question in your life that you, you know, you want to kind of create a whole new life around it or are you just fine with it? And I guess that's, that's probably where it starts. I know I've been questioning this since I was 10 years old. So I love that Serena, you said it's, it's however you define the word. And that makes me excited. I'm like, I want to create a vision board around what I want it to be. And I want, (laughs) I want to go back and think about all the words I placed on myself that made me feel shame and made me feel like I'm not a real girl even though biologically I am. And it, it empowers me to think more about all the possibilities of what feminist, being a, being feminine can mean um, just for myself in the world and not so much from some other person's expectations. So uh, final words, Serena, we have another minute left. Is there a last piece of advice or tip or something that you'd like to share with anyone on this subject before we go? Yeah, I would say it's a practice. It's going to be a lifeline. Like you're going to be like, okay, yeah, no, I've got it. Like it's a practice and it's a, it's a, it's work, right? So it's work, it's practice, it's a spectrum, it's circular, it's interwoven. It's all the things it's some, it's sometimes ugly. (laughs) It's dark. It's shadowy. It's, it's, it's empowering. It's some, it's not like, like it's all the things, all the things. And so that's where I say is just allowing that to that process, um, to happen. Um, and know that it's, that it's, it's not perfection. Mm-hmm. I love that. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Jolie, do you want to add anything to that? I'm just going to sit in the mess with Serena and be like, yes, I am here for it. It can be destructive and awesome. Creative destruction. I'm here for that. Yeah. I want to sit in the mess with you guys. Can I come too? Come to the mess. (laughs) Have a mess circle. I'm coming to the mess. Okay. So let's let's invite all the listeners to the mess. Yeah. Everyone's invited. Yeah. Okay. Dirty, messy. Yeah. Yeah. Juicy. Juicy. Don't be juicy. All right, Serena, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you both so much for having me. What an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was awesome. I'm so glad this was our first. Serena sandwich was our first sandwich. I couldn't be happier. (laughs) My favorite sandwich. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, you can show me some love by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen so more people can find us. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood, and it's recorded in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Chris Collins. Until next time, stop waiting. Stop waiting.